Welcome to Disruptive Successor, a show for next generation leaders in family businesses and entrepreneurs who want to disrupt the status quo and take their existing business to a whole new level. We all know that what got us here isn't going to get us there. This show will provide inspiration, advice, and resources to help you create massive impact. This podcast is sponsored by myself, Jonathan Goldhill, and my company, The Goldhill Group, where we provide coaching for growing companies. I'm Jonathan Goldhill, and my purpose is simple to guide entrepreneurial leaders in family businesses towards more freedom and fulfillment. I want entrepreneurs to get clarity around the changes that will make them and their businesses more successful so they can experience the same freedom I've enjoyed in my life. Our proven practices challenge business owners to think differently about their business and how they're running it and quite literally become game changers in our clients' companies. Learn more at the goldhillgroup.com website where you can schedule your free strategy session. Hi, it's Jonathan Goldhill and welcome back to another episode of the Disruptive Successor Show. And today I have a disruptive successor from Italy. Andrea Dolan is an engineer, entrepreneur, and CEO of an Italian family business that has been producing systems for the processing of thin sheet metal since 1978. With 160 employees, that includes engineers, technicians, and operators. He's the author of two books, The Revolution of Efficiency and Think Thin, with a bachelor's degree in industrial engineering at the University of Padua during more than 20 years spent in sales, Andrea has visited hundreds of companies analyzing production processes and helping entrepreneurs and managers be more efficient. So today we're going to be talking about his family business. We'll be talking also about um, sustainability in production processes and how to do them profitably and uh, and manufacturing in today's modern era. Andrea, welcome to the show today. Uh, thank you very much, Jonathan. It's a pleasure to be here with you. So tell us first a little bit about your family business and about the story. How, how did it get started? Maybe why did it get started? And, and then uh, and how did you come to enter the business and what, what that was all about, what that was like? Yeah, um, well, my father started the business uh, in 1978, so we are we'll, we'll be 44 years old as a company next year, uh, and I'm almost as old uh, as the company. So uh, I can say that uh, this company, the LAN, is uh, kind of uh, my father's third son, um, and. Um, his, he used to work uh, as a designer in, comp in a company that produced the role-forming, uh, uh, role-formed profiles. So they used the role-formers to produce, uh, to make their own products. And uh, as he was studying engineering, uh, he uh, wrote uh, one software to develop uh, the flowers for role-formed profiles, one of the first of its kind. And he decided to start his own business for designing tools for role-forming equipment back in, the, in 1978. So that was 
very pioneering <laughs> uh, activity uh, at the time. And uh, so he started as a small uh, uh, design studio uh, or engineering firm. Mm -hmm. uh, it uh, started to grow and uh, quite uh, uh, immediately he started producing the first small machines. And uh, uh, after a few years, he decided to focus uh, on thin sheet metal. And that's become uh, uh, the focus of our company. Uh, well, we are specialized uh, specifically in thin sheet, sheet metal up to two millimeter thickness. Wow. Um, and who uses uh, this kind of thin sheet metal, by the way? What kinds of uh, businesses well, or what, like what kind of manufacturers or what manufacturing processes is this important? Well, uh, the, uh, thin sheet metal are used, for example, for producing um, drywall uh, profiles. So, you know, the metal, uh, the metal framing structures that are used to apply plasterboards. It's a huge industry. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, suspended metal ceilings uh, like uh, T-bar, uh, ceiling T-grid uh, that is very, very popular in the States, uh, for mm -hmm. example, which is uh, a big market for, for us. Uh, uh, then some protection like rolling shutters, uh, roller shutter doors uh, for, uh, um, for shops uh, or for okay. uh, houses. And Venetian blinds. Uh, this is uh, the type of products where we have become uh, very, very specialized into. And our market, uh, uh, as we specialized, we started to sell more and more outside of Italy. Right now, we have uh, um, over 90% of the uh, uh, systems we sell is outside of Italy and over 20% is in the United States. Uh, therefore, we started our subsidiary in the States uh, in 2018. And um, well, uh, in 2000, I graduated from uh, the University of Padua in engineering, uh, the mm -hmm. same kind of a study that my father right. did, and I joined him uh, running one part of the business uh, that was specifically uh, the unit that produced the punching machines, so systems for perforating uh, sheet metal. Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, in 2012, end of 2012, I took over as CEO for, uh, the, for the whole group. Yeah. So tell us, what, what was it like to, make, to take over as CEO for the whole group? 2012, um, that was nine years ago. Uh, was there some resistance from your father? Was he, was he welcoming it? Uh, what was the dynamic between you and your dad like at that time? Well, it, it has been very, very uh, something we had to plan for uh, in advance. So um, in one company, the, the company was at the time 100, uh, close to uh, 150 people. Uh, and uh, it was, uh, so the whole group was divided into six companies, mm -hmm. each one counting 30 to 40 uh, people working in it. Um, and of course, uh, so uh, it was uh, difficult to manage uh, a group of company of this kind. So uh, we planned in advance uh, to uh, acquire all of these uh, subsidiary companies from our central which was always the LAN SPA, mm -hmm. and to create one single company that was, uh, um, because all the other companies were 
basically suppliers to the LAN, and the LAN was the company that was uh, selling and installing the machines in the market. Okay. So it was something that we had to plan in advance. Right. We had other uh, partners that had uh, some shares in all these companies, so it had to be carefully planned uh, not only for the management but also for the communication. Uh, we wanted to acquire all these uh, uh, shares from from the uh, partners who had the, the, the small uh, this uh, the small percentage of the other companies. Mm-hmm. And finally, we managed to group uh, everything under one single company, which was the Lang SPA. And today, so the shares are uh, owned all by my father's family. Which okay. is uh, my father, my mother, me, and my sister. Gotcha. And so, um, was it like, but emotionally, was there any emotional issues in terms of the oh, well, transfer uh, of, of, of authority to the, you, know, you being CEO? <laughs> well, uh, yes, uh, because, uh, well, for my, fa- I, I told you, so um, the company was, uh, my father's third son, and if right. I have to, to say, saying the truth, it is that my father spent a lot more time with his third son as he did uh, <laughs> than he did with me and and my sister. Uh, in um, in any case, uh, we uh, I started to follow him uh, uh, closely for the. Um, following him in the sales. So I started to get more and more used uh, into uh, getting to know his customers uh, and so on. But he was so much involved in uh, the sales process uh, that for him, it was a kind of difficult to let go that part of the job he knew to do so well. I bet. Now, what about the CEO, like vision, like where we're going to take the company, like um, strategy, was that difficult for him to let go of too? Or is he still leading the charge in that area? Or Well, my father has uh, had written a strategy for the company mm-hmm. back uh, in uh, uh, 1986. And wow. we, had, uh, we have uh, constantly reviewed this strategy together. Right. Uh, starting from the moment when we had uh, six different strategies or six similar strategies for all these six companies, up to the moment when we merged uh, everything together into mm-hmm. uh, one single uh, company. So, uh, so it was not uh, a problem of uh, difficulty in the vision. I think uh, rather than that, it was more important to uh, consider that. Uh, uh, when taking over one company with 150 to 160 people, it is uh, uh, it is difficult for me who I don't have his depth of knowledge, uh, maybe in the technical part or uh, in um, this, every single aspect of the business. And it is necessary to start building some kind of uh, management uh, inside the company, mm-hmm. like uh, uh, engineers and professionals who can take uh, care of the project management, uh, for example, of, of the operation. And sometimes uh, we needed to work with uh, some external competences. Um, <coughs> so 
but that is also uh, important and essential because not only there is one generational change, a succession, there is not only in the leadership, but there is in every single department of the company. So uh, even in the operation, there are a lot of people who started to work with my father mm-hmm. in the very uh, beginning, and some, some of them are retiring. Uh, and we need to take care not only of the knowledge that my father had needed to pass to me, right. uh, but also of all of these other uh, transfer of knowledge that we have to have throughout the company, especially when we are speaking of a very technical product uh, such as uh, ours, uh, which is uh, so automated systems, uh, uh, engineered to order. So everything is made, it's highly, highly customized. So I want to go back to the strategy for a moment. Um, are you still following the same strategy that your dad developed in 1986? Because that's, that's a long time ago. Is it still, yeah, it is. Is it still current? <laughs> is it still relevant? Well, um, it is uh, okay. with some changes because okay. uh, some things uh, have uh, uh, have changed in the market. Mm-hmm. The strategy basically in 1986, uh, um, it related to the moment when he decided to focus the company only on thin sheet metal. Okay. After that moment, uh, so the name Dallan now is connected in the world of sheet metal manufacturing to the expert for thin sheet metal Mm -hmm. uh, processing. Uh, Right now, there is uh, a lot lot of newer technologies, uh, such as laser cutting, for example, and there is a much higher need for automation. So whereas once the role forming part, so the, the the, the, the role forming part of the, the whole machine was uh, uh, was prevalent prevalent mm-hmm. right now uh, we can say that the, the automation part so what uh, so we have to produce the part but we need also to package it in a certain way because the need uh, for our customers in Europe and in the US especially is for more and more automation. Mm-hmm. Because uh, there is a much, it is much more difficult to find skilled technician that will operate or people who will take care of the operations or, or, or operations such such as packaging. So this trend we had to introduce it straight into our strategy. Gotcha. Interesting. So, um, so what? Tell us a little bit about your two books. Um, the Revolution of, of Efficiency and Think Thin. Um, were these yeah. disruptive uh, concepts that you were trying to introduce into the industry? Um, tell yes. us a little bit about them. Mm-hmm. Y- yes. Um, Jonathan, it is. Uh, um, so I always like to write for some technical uh, reviews. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I had written some articles on uh, the organization of the production, lean production, and so on. Um, eventually, so I had a lot of this material, and I always wanted to condensate it uh, into one uh, one book. Okay. Uh, what happened is that uh, I started doing this uh, at the end of 2019, mm-hmm. Uh and then uh, the pandemic arrived in February, so I had a lot of time also during the weekends uh, at home to right. uh, refine this. Uh, this sure. Work. 
And uh, so uh, this led to, the, to, to writing the first book, which is uh, The Revolution of Efficiency. And it is on, it, isn't, it doesn't speak specifically of our business or our mm-hmm. company. It, is, mm-hmm. it speaks about how we um, organize the production and uh, the production flow and the processes in order to uh, be more efficient. So increasing the automation, a better usage of the raw material, of energy, uh, increasing the flexibility, and so on. So uh, efficiency is analyzed under these uh, aspects. And then we had a lot of case studies from our customers uh, who could explain how these uh, concepts of efficiency, productivity, automation, and flexibility um, are um, are used or are applied in their specific uh, area. And so mm-hmm. the first book was a book about processes. Right. Then I had a lot more material. And right. so at the end of 2020, I could write the second book that is more on design for manufacturing. So it is not only that you have to think of the process, but sometimes making the correct design of the product that can lead to a more, much more efficient and profitable and sustainable uh, manufacturing process. Yeah. So talk to me about what does it mean to be sustainable and um, in production processes? What, what does that mean? And, yeah. and also, I want to I get into also the role of automation in production processes. Yeah. So the two subjects that are that you seem to focus in on and that are really relevant to people in today's manufacturing environment. Uh, absolutely. Um, well, in, in Europe, uh, sustainability is becoming uh, one of the main uh, aspects of uh, production, not only so that the, the processes should be um, respectful of the environment, but uh, also uh, the, the problem is that when uh, an entrepreneur thinks of the, uh, of making the process sustainable, sometimes they think they, that this is going to increase their production costs. On the other hand, what uh, I, we have shown uh, through all these case studies and uh, um, and this and the different design studies is that when you design the product in the right way and the process in the right way, you can produce exactly the same product using less raw material, less energy, less uh, labor also. Mm -hmm. And so overall, you can have a much more sustainable process, so a green production system, Mm -hmm. but at the same time, uh, producing a big result in terms of profits uh, for the company. Uh, So, And this uh, goes uh, through making a design of the product that... uh, um, uses uh, thinner material, mm-hmm. so producing uh, the same uh, profile or a similar profile with the same strength, uh, but uh, using less material in this case, or uh, transforming uh, uh, or uh, having a process that produces less scrap. And mm. sometimes uh, you can produce the same amount of finished product using uh, uh, 20% uh, uh, producing 20% less scrap. So going from processes that normally would produce uh, <laughs> uh, 20% scrap to processes that use the material to up to 100%. This uh, turns out uh, in less 
cost of raw material for the company mm-hmm. and in more profit as well. Right. So, did you measure these things, by the way? Did you do a before and after? Like, do you, do you have met metrics in place? Because, um, well, let me just tell a quick little story from my experience. Uh, I one of my early consulting experiences was in 2000, and I went into a uh, a 500 employee uh, bread manufacturing company here, well known name in the United States. And uh, they were having <clears throat> some problems with their production processes enough that the, the California uh, OSHA, which is the um, uh, safety and health organization, occupational okay. safety and health organization, came in and gave them a big fine for their safety and health practices. And so in the process of helping them coach, coach their leaders on implementing best practices, I came across a number of really interesting benchmarks for manufacturing bread around yield, around waste, around lean manufacturing processes. And so I came to them with all these KPIs, key performance indicators, and, uh, and helped them to start measuring their yield and waste and to reduce those things and to improve their processes. And so I imagine being an engineer uh, like you are, that you applied this same kind of thinking to like, let's, let's do an analysis of before and after. Absolutely. And uh, this was a very important. And this uh, is some one part of the books uh, uh, is always dedicated to this type of study. So not right. only understanding, the, explaining uh, what are the processes, but also explaining in detail how much uh, more profit they could generate when applied. Um, also, uh, but the most important thing is that some of our customers, uh, some companies who are actually applying uh, these uh, concepts uh, are explaining uh, with, their expe- with their experience uh, what was the situation before and what was the situation after they implemented the, these, uh, um, these technologies? So this uh, gave me a, 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 huge, uh, um, a huge help to explain because one thing is a technology explained by the manufacturer of the technology and another thing is having one market leader saying, okay, I am working through this technology without specifically saying that it is a Dallan technology. But mm-hmm. this, if you modify your processes in this way, you, you will obtain this and this and this uh, and this result in terms of uh, so much production with uh, so many operators uh, or, and uh, with uh, this kind of usage of the raw material compared to Mm-hmm. So now compared to earlier. So these metrics, well, for these, I should uh, uh, maybe I'll give you, I'll give the link to <laughs> where how to get the book <laughs> because it's uh, it will sure. take hours to explain. But we will put that all in the show notes, uh, at least the links that you provided. So, <laughs> um, so, you know, let's just go off the subject here a little bit. Something really hot right now in terms of a topic for a lot of people is supply chain issues. I imagine in Italy, you're having the same problems that we're having in the United States, which is getting stuff delivered 
and getting it through our ports. And that's right. It seems to be that it, it's going to require some engineering talent to speed up uh, the the processes of you know of getting product from one country to another and and then distributed in through the country, and that automation is going to play a really big part in this whole Absolutely. supply chain issue. I wonder if you have any thoughts to share with our listeners on, on this subject. Uh, absolutely. Uh, so what we, are, we are, what we are seeing in Europe is exactly what you are experiencing in the States uh, from what I hear from my customers. Uh, so we have been used to ordering a lot of our uh, of the goods uh, that even what we use for, for making our machines from overseas, from East Europe, from China, from or from Mexico, and so on. Right now, uh, especially for the goods that need to be trans- uh, transferred overseas uh, uh, or through containers, the costs for uh, transferring them has increased a lot. There is uh, a lack of these materials, but I think the most important thing that we have understood is that we have transferred a lot of the know-how to produce these goods to other countries. Mm -hmm. So our production, uh, the network of companies that make up the production, uh, the manufacturing heart of our countries have has weakened over time. Yep. And right now, what I, what I understand in Europe, as well as in the US, there is the, a, a, a huge drive to bring back the manufacturing uh, uh, in the country. And uh, this, uh, of course, uh, faces some challenges because uh, sometimes it's difficult for us in Europe to find uh, operators for the machines or people who want to actually work in the manufacturing. Yes. <laughs> therefore, um, therefore, we are seeing the increase, uh, a huge increase in the request for automated uh, systems, uh, both in Europe and in the United States. So systems that uh, will not just produce the part, but will do the full packaging up to the uh, paper box uh, so the product uh, from the raw material through the machine and then ready for the delivery palletized uh, uh, this is uh, this was a huge focus uh, also for us in the past and now it's turning out uh, that it makes a huge difference uh, mm. for our customers yeah Interesting. So your typical customer, like what are they buying from you? Is it a manufactured piece of a, is it a machine that needs to be shipped via yes. container? And, and is, is most of that being shipped uh, worldwide? Is it to the U S is it, you know, look, yeah. Uh, tell us a little bit about, you, you know, your challenges with getting your customers orders fulfilled. Yeah, well, uh, it, it, right now with these uh, travel restrictions, uh, it, it, there are more challenges <laughs> than there used to be. Mm-hmm. But typically, so our customer will come to us with one product. Well, mm-hmm. we don't manufacture pants, but they show us what they want to produce right. in sheet metal. They show us how they want it uh, to be delivered outside of the machine. Mm-hmm. And we mm, design and uh, then uh, manufacture the machine here. So the machine will be tested with our customers here. Mm -hmm. And then we have to disassemble, 
ship and reinstall the machine under mm. the customer's premises. So mm. it's... Uh, um, so you do the installation in the customer's premises. I mean, who else would know how to put this together? But it makes it difficult for you to be traveling overseas to, or even maybe into the other, into the other European countries. Does it? Well, within the European the EU, countries, it's probably not a problem. Yeah, not not a problem. Uh, the uh, well, actually, in the US, uh, there have been travel restrictions, not for technicians. But right. actually, uh, as a salesman, I had my difficulties coming to the States. I see. Okay. <laughs> so they don't want salesmen. They just want uh, technicians. <laughs> so you masquerade as a technician when you come into the United States? <laughs> no, no, I didn't have to. <laughs> okay. Anyway, but we do have uh, our, uh, we, we have started our, our subsidiary in uh, the States. Uh, so mm -hmm. we have a, a small facility in Ohio mm -hmm. and we are hiring technicians directly in the States, uh, which we will have trained for taking care of the U.S. market, uh, which is uh, becoming more and more important uh, in and these they'll, years. they'll manufacture using a set of blueprints and designs. And is that how it will be done? Right. Not right now. Yeah. Uh, right now, we uh, produce everything in uh, Italy. We right. test, deliver, and so what we take care in the U.S. is only the installation part. I uh, see. Okay, <laughs> but eventually, it will be possible even to make the the production of some parts or of. Uh, uh, several parts it takes time to to build a network of suppliers uh, to find the right people to train them but uh, rome wasn't built in a day no um <laughs> and neither was thin metal uh, manufacturing uh so no. um has this been the most difficult climate most difficult time in your leadership of the company this whole pandemic uh, this pandemic has been uh, one uh, challenge that has changed a lot of, of uh, uh, the things that we, we took for granted, uh, mm -hmm. like uh, the time for the supply of certain components uh, or the stability of the prices on the supply chain. So that this has all changed. This is not uh, the first time we, we, we find this kind of changes. Uh, 2008, uh, with uh, the with the, the with the crisis uh, that impacted a lot the uh, the construction industry, that was uh, uh, th that was quite a challenge. And in that period, we faced uh, a reduction in the orders. Whereas in this moment, we are facing uh, this challenge uh, with. Uh, um, so with plenty of orders uh, mm -hmm. for, for the fact that uh, there is a, this huge push towards automation. So uh, if I have to compare the two challenges, I do prefer this one rather than that of 2008. Gotcha. Uh, of course. And another, <laughs> and another challenge is, uh, was uh, that uh, when I took over, uh, as a CEO, when we had to take care of the merger of the companies, uh, mm -hmm. uh, dealing with all the partners uh, of uh, that needed uh, a lot of uh, uh, energy uh, mm -hmm. from uh, from the family, a lot of uh, 
a, a common vision of how we wanted to the, the the company to work afterwards. So if I I if I have to say this is quite a challenge, but uh, um, so. Um, after I think, as a CEO, you have to be prepared for challenges. So because uh, yep. nothing is remaining the same, now we are facing also the challenge of uh, uh, having to to or wanting to hire more people from the schools, uh, training more and more people, and it's mm-hmm. difficult to find them. So uh, I mean, uh, it's uh, w- what. Uh, even our German customers say right now, right now it's a, a difficult time in the uh, in the market because there is the, this difficulty to find raw materials. But this is kind of a luxury problem compared to what we had in 2008, 2009 right. after that kind of crisis. Understood. All right, let's move to the subject of like management, leadership, administration, and the family business. So. Mm-hmm. Um, Tell me a little bit about the management of the business. Do you have uh, regular meetings that you hold with the, the family that are separate from the, the leadership team and the management team to talk yeah, about these are issues? Two, two, different, uh, two different types of, uh, uh, of meetings. Mm-hmm. Well, we do have, uh, uh, well, quite a... a Quite fast, we do have a board of directors. Okay. There is me. My sister is also in the board of directors, and she is a, a quality manager. Mm-hmm. So and she takes care of all the certification. Uh, and uh, so she takes care of all those uh, kind of organizational um, uh, topics where I would not have the time to be <laughs> very much involved. Uh, then our CFO takes part of it, uh, uh, Andrea. He's almost my age, so we have quite a young management. And then, mm-hmm. of course, there is my father, mm-hmm. who is uh, uh, the uh, president and founder, and right. my mother as well. She's the founder uh, 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 of the company. Uh, and uh, then we have our HR manager, uh, Nadia, uh, who is... Uh, um, uh, who is also in the board of directors, and we meet one time every month, for mm-hmm. example. Mm-hmm. Uh, then our operation has uh, uh, meetings uh, every week mm-hmm. uh, with uh, the the together with uh, the commercial, uh, the sales department. But these are two different uh, types of uh, yep. meeting. They involve two two different uh, uh, level so the- of management. So the first group is dealing with strategy, financial, personnel issues. The second Absolutely. group is dealing with operation, production, um, exactly. client uh, type, client facing type issues is mostly probably. Exactly. So okay. uh, all of those kind of problems that relate to the specific customer, mm-hmm. the specific delivery, the specific uh, mm-hmm. contract. But sometimes uh, things uh, need yep. to be uh, merged. So I'm mostly involved in sales. So I work closely with uh, uh, the responsible of our sales department, uh, with uh, our assistant. Uh, and uh, but uh, So as part of my job, I'm mostly involved in sales because our uh, job is uh, so uh, conceiving one machine after watching one sheet metal product 
and coming up to, to one offer and then going through all of the uh, technical talks uh, and uh, negotiation. That uh, requires a lot mm-hmm. of uh, um, experience uh, as well. And of course, uh, well, my father is the number one in terms of, of experience, but right now he's took over another part of uh, the activity, which is all our patent activity, the research and development, which is the part of the business that he likes the most. Gotcha. So does your company use any kind of a specific operating system or playbook to manage uh, some of these processes? Um, I'm referencing books on my shelf here, like Scaling Up uh, or the Entrepreneurial Operating System, EOS, anything like that to manage your meetings, your strategic planning, business planning? No, I don't. I wouldn't say that we have one managerial uh, uh, system uh, right. uh, in terms of uh, uh, so w- what I'm reading uh, mm-hmm. in your bookshelf mm-hmm. <laughs> right there. Um, so you're to- you're not talking about software. So you're talking no. about me. Well, uh, it system. might have software, um, yeah. and I do use software with my clients. But I'm talking about like a like a playbook that everyone knows, okay, this is where we make these types of decisions and this is where we process these issues and this is what we do on a quarterly basis to develop a plan and communicate that plan. And, um, you know, it also might include a set of standard operating practices and processes around hiring, around motivating, around communicating, around, you know, different well, I types can of tell issues. you, I can tell you, um, something about how we change the uh, our managerial system over time so mm-hmm. um, in uh, 2018 we started introducing lean production to mm-hmm. our systems uh, and so this was uh, uh, taken care of from our operation uh, manager and this has led to introducing regular meetings for the opening of uh, uh, each uh, new order and uh, so the obeyer room for the uh, uh, for the technical um, for the technical office uh, like moments where the the during one project all of the technicians can uh, uh, sit together and clarify uh, doubts that they might have because the machines can be extremely complex so we actually do have all our standardized meetings for each type of uh, function. Mm-hmm. Uh, since every machine becomes a kind of a one, uh, uh, one project, uh, our job is very much close to a project management uh, uh, job. The only thing is that we manage over 250 projects per year. So it's quite extensive, uh, the amount of meetings uh, that uh, need to be taken care of uh, during sure. the year. Sure. One other thing that uh, we have uh, uh, started to do is uh, uh, standardizing uh, the moments for the training. Um, it was uh, somewhat... Uh, uh, difficult because we are uh, 150 people together to finding some uh, institutional moment to get a communication together was quite uh, difficult also because each different department might need a different uh, set of information for care- carrying on uh, their job correctly. 
So we have introduced moments for training for the different departments. Right now, for example, we are carrying some training for the service department. Mm -hmm. And these are moments where we share our internal best practices. And so what is the expectation for each single uh, technician that is going out? So training moments is one moment where we... Uh, convey the internal communication and uh, as well as the training, of course. Uh, and this has proven to be very, very effective uh, in in for our company. Sure. So I don't mean that uh, can work for 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 uh, all different companies. Yeah. All right. So as we wrap up, Andrea, if one, if people want to get a copy of either of your books. Um, where are they? Where are they available? Can they be purchased on Amazon? Um, yeah. Or? Well, right now we have uh, uh, the Revolution of Efficiency available on Kindle, mm -hmm. uh, on Amazon, mm -hmm. uh, and so you just need to type the Revolution of Efficiency, and you'll get uh, the possibility to download it uh, straight away. Uh, whereas the Think Thin uh, includes uh, a lot of very very technical and specific information. So yes. right now it can be purchased directly contacting uh, Dalan at uh, uh, eng at dalan.com. Okay, once again? E-N-G yep. at dalan.com. Okay, great. E-N-G at dalan.com. Andrea, thank you very much for sharing uh, your wisdom. Uh, thank you very much. You, uh, it's been a pleasure for me, Jonathan. Yeah, awesome. So, folks, if you uh, are interested in thin sheet metal manufacturing or uh, thinking more about automation and improving your production processes, sustainability, uh, Andrea Delon has been our guest today. And thanks for listening to another episode of the Disruptive Successor Show. This podcast is sponsored by myself, Jonathan Goldhill, and my company, The Goldhill Group, where we provide coaching for growing companies. I'm Jonathan Goldhill, and my purpose is simple, to guide entrepreneurial leaders in family businesses towards more freedom and fulfillment. I want entrepreneurs to get clarity around the changes that will make them and their businesses more successful so they can experience the same freedom I've enjoyed in my life. Our proven practices challenge business owners to think differently about their business and how they're running it and quite literally become game changers in our clients' companies. Learn more at the goldhillgroup.com website where you can schedule your free strategy session. Thank you for joining us on the Disruptive Successor Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please subscribe, review, and share with a friend who would benefit from the message. If you're interested in picking up a copy of my book, Disruptive Successor, go to DisruptiveSuccessor.com.